Welcome. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Tim. I'm the senior pastor here. You're going to hear from me about two-thirds of the time. I'm glad to be here with you. Glad to have you at our campuses. Glad to have you online. I just want to tell you something before we get rolling. Um, I preached uh, at a church, another church last weekend, uh, who's doing Life on Mission. For those of you that are new, I did a, a big campaign, a six-week campaign for churches called Life on Mission to help them get back on mission. So every once in a while, I get a chance to go launch one for another church and help them make sure that they're, you know, on track with all that. And then this, this whole past week, we've been at a pastor's conference. And it's pastors of larger churches, 68 couples all together. They're my friends, my peers, my mentors, some of the people that you hear from, uh, you know, who preach for me every once in a while. <clears throat> and it's just like nonstop, 18 hours a day, catching up with each other, trying to figure out what's going on in each other's churches. Uh, where is Christianity at, you know, today in the U.S., and how are we dealing with all that? So it's basically parents talking about their kids, you know? I mean, that, that's really what it is at the end of the day. And every time I tell somebody about what God's doing at Parkview, I, I, it's kind of like I've forgotten how awesome you are, all right? I mean, I, it's kind of like you're talking about your kids, you know, with someone, and you're like, yeah, well, their grades could be better, and you know, she's getting a little sassy, and I caught them eating Captain Crunch in the middle of the night the other day. And they, the other person, the other couple is like, yeah, well, one of my kids fell in the well and went cross-eyed, and one's in the clinic getting cured off to wild turkey, and one's barking for the yak woman. Christmas vacation, stay with me. And, and, you, and you just drive back home, and you go home, and you find your little sugar cereal-loving, sassy-talking little kids, and you just want to give them a big hug because you realize, yeah, you got stuff going on, but God's doing amazing things. So here's my big hug, okay? This is my big hug to all of you. This is my big hug to homers. I tell people about our Homer campus and how God has transitioned us into a new building and done all kinds of stuff. And for those of you who know him, Brian Hunt, who was the former campus pastor there, was at this gathering because he's leading his own church. It's going really, really great. Makes me very, very proud. Big hug to you at New Linux. Everyone is blown away by your story. Mega church already of what God has done in such a short time there. Big hug to my Orland campus. I mean, jumping in and filling these volunteer spots. I keep seeing new faces everywhere in the parking lot and in kids and all the things that's going on. And your daring faith is what has been making all this happen. And I thought, you know what? This, this is Paul to the church at Philippi, but this is me to you, okay? I thank my God, every time I remember you, and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, okay, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I pray for you that way, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's just from me to you, okay? Keep it up. You guys are awesome. If, you know, if you've never been a part of a church before, you're just, you're just coming to Jesus and you walked into this church, you have no idea how fortunate you are. And I'm not saying that because I'm the pastor. I'm saying because God has done amazing things and is doing amazing things. And it is awesome. <laughs> Big hug. <clears throat> so, so keep it up, Parkview, okay? I invite people to come with you. I, I heard that one of the speakers said 82% of the people out there, you know how people make up stats, so I don't know if it's true or not, but 82% of the people out there would go to church if somebody invited them. And only 2% of believers ever invite anybody to go to church with them. And shout out to my new friend Michael at the Homer campus that I met on Friday, who was telling me all the things that God has done in his life through Parkview and his marriage and his life. And he was invited to Parkview by somebody who doesn't even go here. 
he just met this lady and was talking to this lady and she's like, well, you ought to go to Parkview. I hear great things about it. Hey, if other, don't let somebody else invite your friends to your church, okay? That's just wrong. Invite your friends to come and join you. Think about Easter. Think about the opportunities that we have. Partner with us. Get online and, 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 and get your giving figured out. Serve with us. Get in a small group. We're doing this baggage series small group, and we recorded our own DVDs and did our own stuff uh, for it. It'd be really easy. You, I mean, we're a week out now, but you could still go. You could still jump in and do it. Put some people together or let us get you connected. I'm going to talk more about that along the way. So we started this baggage series. Pastor Todd did a great job kicking it off last week. And, and I got to start with a joke. And it's not like, you know, like Joel Osteen, like, you know, I just need to throw something in. It's like, this is really important to the plot. But the problem with this joke is you've got to make fun of a people group, you know, somehow one way or another. And the brunt of the joke has to be someone from a certain people group. And, and I'm not sure who to put in there because whoever I do, then I'm going to get emails from that group of people that are going to be mad at me. So what I thought we'd do is just take a vote, okay? We're just going to take a vote. How many of you think uh, we should make fun of cheeseheads? Let's just, uh, let's just let's see that. Okay, that's, that's pretty good. Um, how, blondes, how many of you think we should uh, make fun of blondes? A few, a few blondes raised their hand. And, yeah, okay. Uh, Cub fans. How many of you think Cub fans? We got to make fun of Cub fans. Well, it's a little divided. How many many think Sox fans? We should make fun of them. Okay. All right. Well, this is perplexing because it's not like a unanimous thing. So, uh, you know, the thing I should do probably is just use me. I'll just use me. I'm from Oklahoma, those of you who don't know. So uh, we'll just make Oklahoma the brunt of the joke. All right. Here we go. Irishman, a Mexican, and an Okie. Didn't, that's what you call people from Oklahoma, in case you don't know, an Okie, all right? Um, didn't walk into a bar. They're working for a construction company, working on the roof of this two-story house. They pull out their lunch boxes one day and, uh, you know, decide to eat lunch up on, up on the roof while they're up there. And the Irishman opens up his lunchbox and looks in and goes, oh, corned beef and cabbage. I can't believe it's corned beef and cabbage again. If I have corned beef and cabbage one more time, I'm going to jump. Mexican opens up his lunchbox, looks in, says, oh, tamales again. I have tamales every day. I'm so tired of tamales. If I have tamales one more time, I'm going to jump. Oki opens up his lunchbox, looks in, there's a bologna sandwich. He says, oh, a bologna sandwich. I'm so tired of bologna. If I have to eat bologna one more time, I'm going to jump with you. Next day, they're up on the roof. Everybody's kind of wondering what's going to happen. Irishman opens his lunchbox. Sure enough, corned beef and cabbage. He's like, that's it. Runs and just jumps off the roof. Mexican looks in, tamales, same thing. I'm with you, runs and just jumps off the roof. Oki looks in his lunchbox, bologna sandwich, runs and jumps off the roof. Now, none of them die, but they all mess themselves up. They're all in the hospital together. The wives are in the waiting room, and they're all talking, and they're like, how could this happen? And the Irishman's like, if I knew, his wife said, if I knew that he didn't like corned beef and cabbage, I would have stopped giving him corned beef and cabbage. Why didn't he tell me? And the Mexican's wife was like, I, I know, me too. If I would have known he didn't like tamales, why didn't he just tell me? I would have given him something else. And the Oki's wife said, don't look at me. He makes his own lunch. <laughs> Everybody, just turn to your neighbor right now and say, hi, my name is whatever. I make my own lunch. Go. Okay. 
This is the truth of the matter, okay? The truth of the matter, this is what we started last week. We talked about, I've got to admit, I make my own lunch. I've got to admit that, that my problems and a lot of the things that are going on in my life are things that, that, that happen because I make my own lunch, okay? And I know you're, we're talking about hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And some of you are like, oh, hang on a second. I, I, I didn't do my hurts. You know, I didn't make my own hurts. They happened to me. And frankly, some of my habits and my hang-ups are because of what other people did to me. I understand that. But here's what I want you to understand. You will never get rid of your baggage until you own up to your part of the bologna sandwich. You'll never get rid of it. I mean, you keep blaming other people for it all the time, but at some point you've got to say, hey, I'm going to make myself something different today. I'm going to go peanut butter and jelly. I'm going to decide that things are going to be different. And the hard part is that in your gut, a lot, of, a lot of us, when I start talking about hurts, habits, and hang-ups, you're like, yeah, well, I've got some of those, but I've got this. It's not that bad, okay? I'm really, I'm, I'm really, it's manageable, it's okay. You are like one of the classic scenes in movie history. Probably the most important movie ever made in human history, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You are like the black knight in the sword fight, all right? Do you remember this scene? He's got his arm chopped off, right? He's squirting out blood, and what does he say? It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> Cuts off his other arm. He's flirting out, I'm going to kick you, right? I mean, it's just a flesh wound. It just makes me tear up thinking about it. You got, you got, it, you got to admit, you're bleeding. It's not just a flesh wound. Admit, to start walking free, I must admit that I'm powerless to control the tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life has become unmanageable. I have to admit that I've got a problem. I have to admit that part of the problem is me, and this is where, where we start. The second part is I submit. You can't do this by yourself. Somebody said it this way, self-help is an oxymoron, Right? I mean, it really is. It doesn't, it doesn't go together. It doesn't make any sense. Well, why are you afraid to submit to someone else? Oh, because I, I don't want to submit to somebody else. I don't want anybody else controlling me. I want to do things on my own. Well, how's that going for you? And when are you ever really in control? I mean, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you, but aren't we always controlled by what other people think? Are we also always controlled by our hurts that other people have done to us and by our habits and by our hang-ups? I am. I think you probably are too. That's what freedom is. You, you might be thinking, this might be the most important thing I tell you in the whole deal. Freedom is choosing who controls you. You might want to write that down. Freedom is choosing who controls you. Because somebody's going to control you. Bob Dylan wrote a classic song, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. <laughs> you couldn't understand him that well because it was Bob Dylan, but that's what he was saying. It's always there, right? Somebody's going to control you. You've got to decide. And here's the beautiful news. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Why are you weary and burdened? Because you've got all that baggage. It's strapped on. You've got, you got overweight luggage you're carrying around. You've got, you're weary and burdened. Come to me. Submit to me, and I will give you rest. That's the only way that rest is going to happen. Admit. Submit, and I will give you rest, and I will give it to you every day. And some of you are like, oh, you know, Tim, I, I, I've tried that before, and it just didn't work. 
I've tried turning it over to God, and it, and it kept coming back. It just didn't work. Well, that's why you need the third step of this. Admit, submit, and commit. Just remember the myths. It's very simple. i got to admit. I make my own lunch. i got a problem. i got to submit to somebody. Am I going to submit to the baggage, or am I going to submit to the Lord? And then i got to commit to a process. Rick Warren said it beautifully. The Christian life is a decision followed by a process. It's a decision followed by a process. Example, 1963, John F. Kennedy is president. He announces publicly, we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. That was a decision. That was a decision. He had no idea how that was going to happen. If you're a good manager, you will never confuse decision-making with problem-solving. Those are two separate things. You make a decision where you want to go. You make a decision how it's going to be, and then you problem-solve along the way. And it took another six years or so before they problem-solved and made it happen. But you make the decision first, and you commit to the process. So how do we do this? This is what I want to talk about today. How do we do this? How do we make this happen? Okay, And and I'm going to give you seven things. Things. I'll just tell you up front, if you want to write these down, you, you may not have any hurts, habits, and hang-ups right now. You will someday, so this might be helpful to you. The first one is you focus on one piece of baggage at a time, one bag at a time. Some of you are like, oh, I'm so excited for this series, Tim. i got 30 bags, man. I need to unload them. And, and you know, I know you do, and everybody knows you do, but don't do it. Don't do it because you're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to get discouraged, and you won't change anything. So here's what I would say. If you're sitting right here and you're thinking, no, I've got three or four things I think maybe God's kind of prodding my heart right now that maybe I ought to be working on. Uh, some of these folders that are in my life that shouldn't be there. Some, some of these things that I've got, these bags that I've got to unload, okay? What I would encourage you to do, and of course I'm, the, I'm a pastor, so I'm going to tell you this. But I would encourage you to spend some time asking God which one he thinks you ought to work on. Which one should you work on first? God, which piece of baggage in my life should I work on? Don't just pray, God, make me a better person. You've got to be specific. You've got to be very, very specific. It's got to be one bag at a time, all right? Number two, focus on one day at a time. One day at a time. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, you guys know this, right? Y'all grew up Catholic, come on. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, our daily bread. Yeah, it doesn't say give us enough bread for the month, give us enough bread for the week. Give us our daily bread. That's based on on something that happened in the Old Testament where the people were hungry and God literally sent bread down from heaven, manna from heaven. But he only gave them enough for one day. If they tried to keep more than one day, it would spoil because he wanted to teach them that they needed to learn how to be dependent on him every day. So give us this day, just a bite-sized piece of whatever it is that I need. One day at a time. It's really, really bugging you that I didn't finish the Lord's Prayer now, isn't it? Oh no, are we going to do trespasses or not? I don't. Let me, let me just give you another prayer, okay? This, one, this is another great prayer. Uh, Jesus didn't teach us this one, but it's a great prayer. Dear Lord, so far this day, I've done well. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that, but in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. 
and from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot of help. That, that's, that's what I'm talking about. One day at a time, one victory at a time. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Oh, my goodness, if we could grab a hold of one piece of this from the Sermon on the Mount. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One day at a time. One bag at a time. One day at a time. All right? One day at a time. And focus, number three, on God's power, not my willpower. This is super important. I mean, even, even AA was founded in, in Christianity as <clears throat> a higher power. If you're ever in a situation where you're trying to fix something without the power of God, I want to tell you that it might be possible, but it's going to be very, very difficult. Resolutions are simply forcing the boat to go one way when everyone else in the boat wants to go the other way. And that's all willpower is going to do for you. But here's the good news. The good news is that Paul said, I can master anything. And for those of you that don't know, Paul used to murder Christians. He, he didn't like grow up, you know, in this, in this Christian faith. He used to be completely on the other side of it. And, and God brought him along and made him an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And he said, now that I've got Christ, I can master anything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. So you pray, Lord, I know I can't change on my own power, but I'm trusting you to take this away. I want you to literally imagine God taking away this defect. Rick Warren says it this way. He said, oh, here's what I imagine in my mind. I imagine taking my problem, putting it in a trash can, putting the lid on it, taking it out to the curb, and watching the trash truck come driving up. God and son, doing business with people like you for 2,000 years. That's what it says on the trash truck. And, and Jesus sends out one of, his, one of his people, and they come and they get your trash, and they put it in the dumpster, and they put it in there, and that little thing comes down and mashes it all down, and then the truck drives off and speeds away, and, and your issue, your hurt, habit, hang-up, it's gone. The problem is you're probably going to need the trash truck to come back again the next day. That's what we've already talked about. Maybe you need it to come back the next hour. But it will happen if you let it. If you turn it over to him, every minute of the day, the trash truck will keep showing up and take your dumpster and take it out of here. Four, I want to focus on what I do want, not what I don't want. I mean, this, this is basic for anything. You've you, you got to focus on the right thing and not the wrong. If you're going to try to focus not on the wrong thing, it's never going to work. The Bible says whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Don't think about the, the things that are not noble, the things that are wrong, the things that are nasty, the things that are horrible, the things that you wouldn't want to talk about. Those kinds of things are not the things that you should be thinking about. You should think about the things that are good. Focus on the good things. Whatever you focus on is what dominates your life. If I say, don't focus on Dunkin' Donuts right now, what are you doing? You're focusing on Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, that's what, and if, you, if I told you right now, don't think about it, don't think about it, that's not going to work. We had this happen. We were doing a discipleship group with our staff, and the very beginning session of this 10-week deal we're doing together, which we're going to offer to you along the way, by the way, um, but we're test piloting it for you right now. So this the group of staff, and we're all sitting around, and some of these people are new. We don't know each other. So the first week is just, hey, let's talk about where we came from and, you know, just some general stuff in our life. And uh, then the question for fun was, what's your favorite pizza? So, so it's like 11, 
o'clock in the morning, and we're all talking about, you know, arguing about Lou's or Aurelio's or Pizza Uno or, you know, all of these different things. And, you know, by the time we got done, we were all like, man, can we go for pizza? Right? And I already knew I had a lunch meeting and a Panera salad was already ordered for me and was already there. It was grueling because I was focused on pizza now, not on my Panera salad that I knew I should be eating in the first place. That's what I'm talking about. You, listen, you don't resist temptation. I know we talk about this sometimes, but the Bible says to re- resist the tempter, not temptation. You resist the tempter. You flee from temptation, that's different. But you don't resist temptation because if you're resisting temptation, it's not going to work. The Bible talks about refocusing. Don't try not to focus on that, or try to refocus on something else. So if your problem is lust and the Victoria's Secret commercial comes on, right? If your problem is food and, and you know, there's a, there's a commercial for, for steak that comes on. If your problem is alcohol and the new Dos Equis guy comes on, he's really awkward. I don't get it. If he comes on and there's this, this cool, you know, beer commercial, those are your problems. What should you do? You shouldn't say, I'm not going to look at Victoria's Secret. I'm not going to look at Victoria's Secret. You, you shouldn't try to turn away. What should you do? You should change the channel. It's really simple. Flip over somewhere else, even for a second, okay? Flip over, refocus your mind. That's what you do. You focus on the things that you do want to do, not on what you don't want to do. Now, here's the deal. One of the easiest ways to do that is with this little thing we call the Bible. Um, memorizing scripture. There are 7,000 promises in the Bible. And if you will memorize, I mean, whatever your one thing is, remember you're working on one thing, if you will memorize maybe one scripture or a couple of scriptures or, or write them down or put them, you know, on your, on your face page of your phone or whatever it is, it'll really help you. Like all of a sudden I'm being tempted in this area, I'm going to look at the scripture, I'm going to think of the scripture. And I know your next, you know, your next question is, well, where do I get those scriptures? Ha, I have that answered for you. A really wonderful man in our church came up with this Rima idea. Rima is the word of God. And it's an app for the phone. This came from a guy at Parkview. Um, Really, really cool. Did it all on his own. Paid for it all on his own. And and you can download it on the app store. You can get booklets at remavoice.org. I mean, there are other places you could do it. But this is so cool because this app, you actually, when when you've got something going on, let's just say you're uh, dealing with greed, all right? You're shopaholic or or whatever. you just jealous of people that have things that you don't or whatever. And you, that, that's the one bag you're going to focus on one day at a time. In God's power, you're going to focus on that. You, you click on that greed one, and there'll be like a dozen scriptures right there to help you with it. You focus on, 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 on what you do want to do, not on what you don't want to do. Number five, I focus on doing good, not feeling good. Doing good, not feeling good. This is what they call in AA, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. I mean, all married people understand this. Right? I don't, I don't, I don't mean like that. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, like sometimes you don't feel like you're in love. Sometimes you don't feel like being with that person. Sometimes you feel like being alone. Sometimes you're angry with them. But, but you just come, you have to come along and make a decision and say, I'm going to do the right thing and the feelings are going to come along. Because the devil can mess up your feelings. 
The devil gets in there and does all kinds of things to you, so you do the right thing and your feelings will come along. Every one of you knows that this is the way that it works. I, had, I used to drink my coffee with like, like my wife, with like all kinds of cream and sugar in it. You know, it was basically candy, you know, caffeinated candy that I could drink. Until one day, some guys made fun of me. And they were like, you know, you drink coffee like a girl, man. I mean, wh- why don't you try drinking it black? They said, they said, if you try drinking coffee black for a week, I promise you, you're never going to go back. And I took the dare, and, and that's the absolute truth. I can't stand. Every once in a while, I, I accidentally grab my wife's Contigo and put it up, and it was like, ah, I can't. I, 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 it's nasty. I want to drink. I, I'm, I, I'm black. This is it. That's what I'm doing from now on. Because I, I made a decision, and the feelings came along. That's what you've got to, I mean, you understand this. If, you're, if, you're, if smoking's your issue, at first, it's going to feel weird not to have something in your mouth. It's going to feel, not just the nicotine issue, it's going to feel weird. So you fake it till you make it. You do the right thing and know that the feelings are going to come along later. Number six, I focus on the people who help me, not hinder me. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. And this is where it gets tough. Because we may have to make some decisions. We may have to make some decisions to get away from some people that, that are dragging us down. If your problem is alcoholism, don't think, oh, well, I'll just go down to the bar and hang out with my friends and eat some free peanuts, but I'm not going to drink. That's, that's a bad idea. If you're struggling with pornography, you, you need to get away from the people that, you know, have it on their screens all the time. You need to get away from environments where it's all around you. You need to make some decisions about getting some good people around you to help you. Pastor Todd mentioned this a couple of weeks ago with the marriage series. I want to put these two things back up. I, I, don't, I didn't write the websites down because you won't remember that. Just remember Triple X Church. It's bizarre, but they started a ministry to, to the porn in, industry and to help people with it. Triple X Church and Covenant Eyes. These are both software programs that I have on my phone and my laptop. And, and all of my friends have them on their, all my preacher friends have them on, 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 my, on their phone and their laptop. Todd talked about it a few weeks ago. Here's what's cool about it. It's not a filter because filters don't work. Filters, you know, sometimes they, they mess up and like, oh, oh, you know, whoops, that one got through. And then all of a sudden you've got this issue again. You know what this does? If I go, if I'm, if I'm on Yahoo and I, and I see something a little enticing and I decide to click over there and I see this, this thing that's enticing and then from there it goes to another one that's like, no, this is really probably not what I should be doing. And I, and I want to think about clicking over there. Do you know what I know is going to happen if I do that? I know that my brother-in-law is going to get an email. It's not going to forbid me from going in. I can go in and do all I want to. But my brother-in-law and another preacher friend are going to get an email saying, hey, you ought to check on Tim because he's going places that are naughty. That's a great fail-safe for me. What I've done is I've surrounded myself with accountability. I've surrounded myself with people that, that are, are going to be able to take care of me instead of people that are like, oh, no big deal. Oh, look, let me, sh- let me send you this one. Let me send you this picture. Let me send you this. This is hilarious. Instead of those people, I'm going to have those other people around me. I have no problem with it whatsoever. This is why accountability and why groups are so important. AA knows this. Every recovery ministry understands this. You've got to be in accountability groups where you are together. The Bible says two are better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. So when you have to help another person, one person falls, the other person can help him get up. That's what the Bible says. You can't, unco- you can't recover on your own. You've got to do this in relationship. 
All right, one more. Focus on progress, not perfection. Let me review. Focus on one thing at a time, one day at a time. God's power, not yours. What I do want, not what I don't want. On doing good, not feeling good. On people who help me, not who hinder me. And on progress, not perfection. Remember, Christian life is a decision followed by a process. And it's going to be a long process. You're going to move forward and you're going to move backwards. And it's never going to be perfect and we're never going to be perfect, and I'm not going to be sinless. You know, I, I love the story I tell all the time of the young priest who was talking to the old priest, and he said, Father, when should I be able to trust myself in regards to the sins of the flesh? And the old priest said, Son, I wouldn't trust myself until I've been dead for three days. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the way the devil works, and he's always going to work, okay? But here's what I want to encourage you. When you allow God in, you focus, don't focus on, on perfection. Don't, don't do that. Focus on progress. When you allow God in, he will help you. He will finish the work he completed in you. That was that prayer I gave for you at the very, very beginning. He will do it. In World War II, the Marines had a strategy from the very beginning in, in the Pacific in regards to war with, with Japan because it was always about an island, right? There was all these islands that they had to deal with, island islands after and after another, okay? So what they did is they would start by just bombing the island. I mean, they would just, they, they would just bomb it and bomb it and bomb it, and they called that, uh, they called that the softening up period. That was the softening up period. And I mentioned that because right now, as I'm saying this, some of you are going, wow, God's been throwing some grenades at me lately. There's been some things in my life that have been blowing up, and I wonder if this is the softening up period. If he's like, hey, why don't you pay attention here because I want to come in. I want to, I, I, I want to invade. I want to, help, I want to help rescue this island from the enemy. If that's going on, start paying attention. Take these seven steps. Start, start figuring out how to get some help with what's going on. But the second phase of this was that they would establish a beachhead. A beachhead. And, I mean, just think Saving Private Ryan. Just think of that scene in Normandy, a horrible scene where, where they're coming on. They unload, you know, they unload the ships and, and, the, and the Marines come in and they storm the island and a bunch of them die. But here's what they would, they knew they had to get a beachhead. They had to get one little piece of the island. And when they had established a beachhead, had they completely liberated the island? No. They had just gotten in. They had just begun to fight the battle. But without a beachhead, it couldn't happen. So what I'm asking you is to give God a beachhead in your heart right now. He's softening it up. Give him a beachhead. Let him in to one little piece. And sometimes when the Marines came on, they would move forward quickly. And sometimes they would move forward and move backwards because that's progress, not perfection. But everybody knew that once they'd established a beachhead... Liberation of the island was just a matter of time. And, and the truth is, in the history of World War II, once the Marines had landed and established a beachhead, they never, ever lost an island. It was just a matter of time until that entire island was set free. So don't worry about all that big picture and what it's going to look like 10 years from now. Just let God have a beachhead in your heart. I'm going to do something here as I conclude. Um, I've been talking about the how, but I want to give you just a piece of the why. Why should you do this? Why is this important? I, I want to do this, um, tug on your heartstrings just a little bit. 
to motivate you before we quit. Um, I ran across a blog post that I had done seven years ago after we took our youngest daughter to California to check out a college that I knew she really, really loved and figured she was going to go there and uh, already had a daughter in Nashville who was dating at that time a guy from England and our middle daughter, I didn't know where she was going to end up. She did end up in California. It was you know, could have been anywhere. She's in California. Our youngest daughter ended up in California as well. And I kind of had that, that premonition that maybe this was the beginning of the end. And I just, I, I, let, me, let me just read it for you, okay? So I flew to a different place. Denise and Becca were going to fly home from L.A. And I was going somewhere else for a church planting meeting I had to go to. And, and I was so sad. I mean, it was just, just hit me. You know, like this is happening. It's all over. And... Uh, so I put on my iPod, because that's what we did seven years ago. I'm just reading the blogs. Hilarious. I put on my iPod, and for some reason, I hit on Clapton. I just decided I needed some Clapton. I wanted some sad Clapton music, and I got to River of Tears, and I drowned in it. It's just killer, isn't it? It's like the ultimate guy's sad song. I listened to it, I promise you, 20 times. There was, there was nobody on this plane. It was late at night. I was in the back all by myself, so nobody could see me. And, and I just had one of those super sad, proud moments all rolled up into one as I listened to this song over and over and over again and realized that, you know, my time with my kids, it was, it was just about done. And so I wrote this. I said... I'm just sitting here thinking that I need to talk to you people who are out there listening to me, reading my blog, who are wasting your fatherhood and your motherhood away to some addiction. And I really feel like you need to understand how short your time is. That's what I was feeling. And I just want to beg you, please get some help. Before you know it, you're going to wake up drowning in a river of tears and the time will be over they will be tears of regret instead of tears of sadness. And I wrote that because of the lyrics to the song. As I was being sad, I was realizing I didn't have to feel what Clapton was feeling when he wrote this, but a lot of people are. Just listen for a second. It's three miles to the river. That would carry me away Two miles to the dusty street That I saw you on today It's four miles to my lonely room Where I'm gonna hide my face
listening to that song and I was just thinking how glad I was. I mean, sad that, you know, my kids are gone and I'm going to go away and I'm, I'm going to miss them and that that period of time is over. But how glad I was that I was still their dad, that, that, that I was still in their life and that, yeah, I hadn't done everything perfect, not anywhere close to a, a, a perfect at all, but I faced up to those demons and God and I worked on them together. And I was just thinking about those of you that are young and, and you've got those things going on in your life right now and how much I, I wish I could just take you and transport you to that point where your kids are leaving. Don't let yourself be in a place where you didn't be everything that you could as a mom or a dad to them. There's help. That's it. I mean, there's so much help available for you. Here's what's really important to me. How long are you going to keep on running, keep on drowning? How long are you keep, going to keep doing that? Because it's unnecessary. It's going to take some work, but it's unnecessary. Jesus preached his first sermon. They handed him a scroll, and he read from the book of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to, pro pro to, to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sat down and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you grasp the magnitude of that? It's here. It's time for you to be free, for you to be recovered, for you to be released, for you to lay your baggage down. It's here. The time is here. Admit, submit, and commit. The time is now. Let's pray. Lord, we just need to spend some time realizing that we are no longer slaves. So we're going to worship for a while right now. No longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves. You died to, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You came to bring recovery of sight for the blind, to bring freedom for the oppressed. And that's what we are, Lord. We have hurts, habits, and hangups, and we are oppressed. And we need to hear from you. We need to know that you've established a beachhead in our hearts and that you will complete the work you began in us. We want to claim that promise today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.